Welcome to the Christian Worship Center podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you. Visit us online at cwcbayarea.com for service times and directions. I am excited today to speak a word into your life. I'm excited because uh, this message, this series of messages, the return number one, just has a great feel to it. We begin to see God do amazing things. But as I was studying for this, this topic that I'm speaking on today, God just began to really stir my heart really begin to challenge me. And that's how I know that the message is going to be good. It's not, you're not uh, speaking to somebody else. You got to speak to yourself first. How many know you have to practice what you preach, right? You have to practice what you preach. And so this morning, I'm going to ask if you would stand with me, turn your Bible to the book of Luke chapter 15, as we continue in the series called The Return. This morning, I'm going to speak on when you want more. When you want more, Luke chapter 15, verse 11 and 12. I'm going to read out of the the NLT version here because I like the way that it puts this scripture here. It says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. How many sons did he have? The man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate when? He says, I want my share of your estate now before you what? Before you die. So he's prematurely asking for something before his father dies because inheritance isn't given to you until someone passes away. So he says, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, for it brings change and challenge to our lives. Lord, and I ask that as we hear it, as a result of it, let us never, ever be the same again. In Jesus' name, we all say, amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. He says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. Now, as we read this, this is not an actual thing that took place in the Bible, but Jesus is trying to prove a point. He's trying to paint a picture here, and he's painting it through a story. How many of you guys like a good story? How many know that a good story is nothing without a good storyteller? When you have a good storyteller, they could take that that story and make it come alive. They could take the story and it's like it's being lived out actually as if it's like real, right? So Jesus is painting a picture here for them and he's telling the story to illustrate the point further. Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. How many know there's nothing wrong with wanting more? Come on, speak to me this morning. There's nothing wrong with wanting more. We, we all want blessings. We all want more finances. We all want better health. We, we all want more. But how you go about getting it, that's where we can make what we want more, you know, good or bad. Right? You can say you want more money, and if you go to a bank and you rob it, how many know you get more money? But how many know there's a price to pay for the way that you got the money? You got more, but there's a price now to pay because the way you went about it was the wrong way. Right? So the son wants more. He's desiring more. And there's nothing wrong with wanting more. See, some of you in this room right now, you want more. You want better for your family. You want better for your future. You want better for your finances. You want more. And you're going crazy because you're trying to figure out, how do I make it come about? Nothing wrong with wanting more. Have you ever desired to have more, not later in the future, but like right now? 
I, I want more of this right now. I want more of that right now. My grandmother used to say when we would take more of something, she would say it in Spanish, and I don't speak Spanish, but I knew she was saying this. She would say that your eyes are bigger than your stomach. Right? Some of you are saying in the Spanish right now, I apologize, I don't speak Spanish, but she would say that your eyes are bigger than your stomach because you would take more, but you couldn't finish it. Right? There, there's a point where we get more, desiring more, maybe even getting it the wrong way, but nonetheless, we get more, and we find out that what we got really wasn't what we're looking for in the first place. Right? Some of you are looking for more money, but it's not more money that you need. You're looking for a, you know... Um, you're, you're looking for a better place to live, a better neighborhood. You want more for your family, but it's not, that, it's not what you need. How many know that the only thing that could fill that void in your life is Christ? He's the only one that could fill that void in your life. So we want things not later, but we want it now. We want it now. I have to have it now, right? Remember that old commercial with Mervyn's like, open, open, open. We can't wait. We, we need it now. We need to have it right now. But when you get something prematurely, what was designed to be a blessing now begins to crush you. So you want someone in your life, but you weren't prepared for someone in your life. You wanted that person in your life, but you weren't prepared for it. So now what could have been a blessing now begins to crush you. You wanted a better job, you wanted more money, so you went out and you got the better job only to find out that the more money you get is the less time you get to spend with your family. You wanted more, you got more, but now it's beginning to crush you. You see, last week, Pastor Dan spoke about discontentment in the Father's house. And if I'm honest, there's a lot of discontent people in the house of God. You've been waiting for so long. You've been desiring some. You've been praying. You've been watching other people get what you've been praying for. You've been asking for breakthrough. You've been looking for all these different things, and other people have been getting it. And all of a sudden, there's discontentment that begins to take place in your life. And as a result of the discontentment, now you find yourself kind of in a rush, like you have to have something. So whatever comes your way, you're beginning to settle for whatever comes your way. It's discontent. You, you, you want more. You, you, you're, you're, you can't wait to fly the coop. Right? So many kids that are 18 years old, I can't wait to get out of this house. Only to realize when you got to pay your own bills, you had a whole lot better at home. Right. When you have to, you know, fork out your own gas and pay your own car insurance and fix your own flat tire, you understand that you had it better at mom and dad's house. You should have just kept your mouth shut in the first place. The son is so has this desire to want more too fast. You see, what he's asking for, it wasn't as if it wasn't his, but he was getting it prematurely. Because the inheritance, a third of the inheritance was the prodigal sons. It was the younger sons. It was, but it wasn't going to take place until his father passed away. The Bible says, you know what? I need money because money is going to make me a whole lot better. He's seeking after something that he thinks he needs, but he really doesn't need in life. Because there wasn't a single need that the younger son had in the father's house that wasn't met in the father's house. 
You see, he became so familiar with the father's house that he lost the value of the father's house. And we can find ourselves being so familiar, so, uh, so content, so familiar with what we have that we lose the value of what we have in life. It happens all the time. You see a husband and wife that, that lose the value for each other. And so no longer do they have that value, so they get bored in marriage. They get bored in their relationship, and all of a sudden our eyes begin to wander I wonder what else is out there. Oh, she looks nice. Oh, I wish my wife would dress like that. I wish my husband talked to me like that. I wish my husband had muscles like that. I wish that we begin to desire something because we lose the value. Right? Our eyes begin to be bigger than our stomach. God has blessed you with a beautiful marriage, but because you stopped valuing your spouse, all of a sudden they're not meeting your need. You're having discontentment. It happens all the time. It happens with our children. We see our children. We get them. We're blessed with them, and all of a sudden now they're costing you money. They're causing trouble, and all of a sudden now you begin to lose the value of them. When the Bible says that they are your, you know, your blessing in life, all of a sudden now instead of being a blessing, now they're trouble. We lose the value of our children. We can lose the value of our jobs. We get discontent in our jobs. We want to climb the ladder too fast. We want more than we deserve at the moment. Or we think we deserve something because we're not getting it. You know what our, our number one thing is? I'm just going to go find another job. Only to find out that that other job might meet your financial needs but they demand a whole lot more out of you in your time. And so what you thought was fixing the problem, you got it prematurely, but what you thought was fixing the problem now is adding more problems to your life. It can happen in our churches and with our pastors. You can become so familiar with our voices that you say, I'm going to church, but they're really not feeding me any longer. It's because you got so familiar that you lose the value of it. Jesus tells a story of this. He says that there were many people that needed a miracle, but he couldn't do anything for them because of their lack of belief and faith. They became familiar with Jesus. If they could do it with Jesus, we could do it with church, we could do it with our jobs, we could do it with our spouses, we could do it in our neighborhood, and we always desire and look to have more. So we begin to look for new places of worship, new churches, and anything that's new always is a whole lot better. You could get out of your old car, jump into a brand new car, and the smell of the new car just does something for you that you desire a new car. But how many know that the new car smell is going to go away pretty soon? Right? A few months of you eating Burger King in there all of a sudden start smelling like grease instead of the new car smell that, that it had before. And we try to go back. So what do we do? We're buying new cars all the time. All the, and it's just an analogy here. Or Brother Dave could get you to smell good like a brand new car there, right? Or uh, it's a, <laughs> a little plug for him there, right? And so we're looking for new all the time. I need a new spouse because she's not meeting my needs. He's not meeting my needs. I need new kids. Their kids are a lot better. I'll trade my kids for their kids. I need a new job. We're looking for something new because when we don't see the value in what we have or where we are abandonment is always so much easier when we don't see the value of what we have or where we are abandonment is always so much easier how many know that life is not always going to be fun marriage is not always going to be fun raising children is not always going to be fun Going to work is not always going to be fun. 
But just because the fun season has ended does not mean that we abandon it and move on to something else. And so the younger son is discontent in his father's house. He's growing up. Maybe more responsibility is being asked of him. Maybe he's asked to pay the PG&E bill now. I don't use all the electricity in here. Why should I pay the whole bill? I'll give you a little part. He, something's going on in this young man's life where he wants to get out of the situation that he's at, but he's thinking that his father's money, what's his and belongs to him in the future, he needs it right now, and that's going to fix the problems. But if you go further in the story, you see that it doesn't do that. Because when we want more and we get it prematurely, it always kills us in the long run. You see, what the son did not understand in the moment when he's asking his father, I want my inheritance now, the thing that's supposed to be when you die, I need it now. I don't want to wait for you to die. I don't got the time. Why? Because I, I, I don't know how much time I have. I need to go have fun. I'm only young once, right? That, that whole YOLO, you only live once kind of a concept. And many of us live our life like that. You know, I only live once, so I'm going to buy this and buy that. I know I can't afford it, but, you know, I'm, I, I, you only live once. He wants everything right now because he thinks that's going to satisfy him, but what he did not understand was his decisions were not only going to crush him, but they were going to change the dynamic of a family. You see, the young man, when he gets more, he doesn't understand that he's about to hurt his father emotionally. Because the only real way that the son's request could have come about was by the death of his father. And so when the young man is telling his father, I want my inheritance now, what he's literally saying to the father is simply this. I wish that you were dead. When you read the story from a human point of view, you could get really mad at the son. Like the nerve of this boy. All of a sudden, we go through scenarios, if that was my son and he asked me that, shoot, we would be going outside. Go. <laughs> right? We'd be go we're going through these scenarios, but let's put ourselves in the place of the son and things that we had wished upon God, the father, and himself, the things we've asked for, and how it made him feel at those moments. Where he tells you no, but you keep forcing a yes in there. No, but you keep forcing a yes, and pretty soon he says, you know what, okay, I'll give you what you want. And all of a sudden now, it begins to wreck you. The son messed his father up emotionally because what he was saying was, I wish that she were dead. You see, I don't care how great of a father you are. When your own flesh and blood makes such a heinous statement, it hurts. You can love your children, but when they make a crazy statement like that or a crazy request, it hurts. It does something to you. Yet, we don't see the father respond like we would expect them to. We don't even see the father respond like we would want him to. I'm waiting in the story for like the son asked the father for the money and the father came back with a backhand and said, there's your cash. Go take that to the bank. I'm waiting for something like that to take place. But the Bible doesn't paint that picture for us. Jesus is not trying to get across that. When people ask you for something that it's not time to give them, he's not saying be harsh to them. What he is saying here is this. Let me show you how a father really acts in this moment. I don't see the father responding like we would expect him to, like maybe you and I would have. Like, son, you need to get your stuff and get out of my house. You just disrespected me 
And you, I, I, I know what you're saying. You wish that I was dead. That's what you're looking, you're, you're looking for me to die. You're looking for my death sentence and asking for this money. Yet we don't see the father respond like that. The Bible says that he simply goes along with their request. You see, in the Eastern culture, it would have been socially and lawfully accepted for the, father to, for the father to physically or verbally remove the son from his property, never to return again. But the father doesn't respond like that. He doesn't tell the son, you know what, just get out of here. You're out of my will. You're out of my life. You're no longer my son. It would have been the normal response. It would have been the response that maybe you and I would have given because we respond out of anger because it was such a harsh statement for the son to ask the father for an inheritance, knowing that the only way he was going to get it was if the father were to die. So he's saying, Father, I wish you were dead so that I could collect what belongs to me. Such a harsh statement, yet the father does not respond like we thought he should have. It would have been acceptable for him to get him out. Yet the father does neither of those. What he does instead, he fulfills the request of his son. You see, in fulfilling the son's request, the father was not agreeing with the son, but the father valued the son greater than stuff. He valued the son greater than stuff. Now, it's hard for us to wrap our head around that because we value stuff greater than the sun because our ability to be right is something that we're willing to fight for. But the Bible says that the, that the father just agrees with it. He doesn't argue. It doesn't mean that he's happy with the decision. The father sees the son and he sees stuff and he places greater value on the stuff than he on the son than he does the stuff. And how many more how many times in life have we placed greater value on stuff greater than the son? Excommunicated things from our life because we we put greater value on our stuff than the son. See, people leave here and we put greater value on the stuff. Then the son. And the Bible says that the father goes along with their request. And it's hard for us to wrap our mind around that because we want to be right. We work hard to be right. We work extra hard to be right. I'm not going to be disrespected, son. I worked so many years to get what I have, and you want to just take it like you didn't. It, 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 it didn't cost you nothing. Of course, you could just ask for it for freely. But the Bible says this, that the father doesn't even fight. Because what the father understood was this, that you could always get more stuff, Amen. but you could never replace a son. Mm. You can't get a son back. I could gain more stuff. It might take me a little bit of time, but I can't get a son back. Once my son is gone and how I treat him on his way out, I can't get a son back, but I could always get more stuff. And so he goes along. He is not happy with the decision, but because of his love for the son, the Bible says that the father gives the son what he asks for. You see, what we need to make sure of is this, that even in the son's mess up, that his path back home is always clear. 
His path back home is always clear. What's the father saying here is simply this. Son, I don't agree with what you're asking for, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. But I want you to know that if you ever want to come back this way, because I'm sending you off with this blessing, I'm not agreeing with it, but I want you to know that the path back home is always clear. CWC, those watching online, I want you to know this morning that the path back home to the Father is always clear. It doesn't matter how much you've messed up. It doesn't matter how bad you've done. I don't care what people have told you. The path back to the Father's house. The path back home. There's no resistance. And we've seen people leave the father's house. They've messed up. There's shame connected to it. And all they see on the way back and all they hear is the voices that are speaking to them. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you did that. But the Bible says that the father never even says anything to the son. We need to make sure that the path back home is always clear for the son to make his way home. So the Bible says that he hurt his father emotionally. Secondly, he hurt his father economically. You see, the father didn't have the money on hand to give to the son. He had to sell portions of his land to fulfill the request of his son. Now, a reminder, it was not only the younger son that got to receive the portion of his inheritance, but the Bible says that the oldest son got his as well. What's taking place here is that the father is bankrupting himself to fulfill this very manner here. And yet again, we don't see the father complaining. It's hurting the father emotionally. Now it's in his pocketbook. You're costing me money, son. You're costing me money. I don't have the money on hand. I'm not dead yet. When I die, then the the land and the portions of it will be sold and the money will be divided. I don't have that money on hand, but what you're asking, I'm going to give you anyway. So he has to go and he has to sell his land. Now understand this. In that time, land was kind of your status in life. Father's bankrupting himself to fulfill the request of the son. But we don't see the father questioning how is he going to make it in life. We don't see the father questioning how am I going to make it? I'm still alive. How am I going to make it in life? He just fulfills the request of his son. Because yet again, the father shows value for the son greater than he shows value for the stuff And if you're not catching the picture yet, the father showed greater value for you than he did for his own son. And that he bankrupted himself and sent his only begotten son to give his life for you because he valued you. He valued you. You see, it's a picture of who Christ is to us. Father didn't say, I don't know how I'm going to make it. It wasn't his concern. His concern was always for the son. But the son's concern was not for the father. How many decisions have we made in life not thinking of the repercussions of our own decisions? How many decisions have we made not knowing 
that when we make that one decision, we were going to hurt some people. The father's hurting emotionally. Now it's hit his pocketbook. But then the Bible says now that it's going to hurt him socially. What are people going to say? You see, I think part of the thing that we face as people when there's a mess up in our family is the embarrassment that we have to face. When you've raised your children correctly and now they've messed up, you're a good father, you're a good mother, you've raised them correctly, you've done all that you can to invest into them. But now that we see this is that the child messes up the child goes off and he does his own thing. And the father's left in the land to suffer the ridicule of the talks of the rest of the community. Wow. Come on. Emotionally, the father's hurt. It's gotten to his pocketbook now. But now it's gotten out to society. How am I going to go to the store? When people see me, they're going to see me according to your mess up. How am I going to live according to that? Look at what this child did. He's messing with my life. I'm a good man. I've done all that I can to raise him right. And this is how he repays me. Yet the father doesn't respond like that. He doesn't respond like that. How are people going to see the father? But better yet, the father was thinking, how are people going to view my son? His eyes were always focused, and his mind and his attention was always focused on the son. His thought never leaves his son. His concern never focuses on himself. We don't see the father ever looking inward. He's always looking outward, looking to meet the need because I could get more stuff. I don't care what people have to say. You know, I, 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 I could make more money, but I need my son back. You see, it's hard to not to see that the youngest son made a horrible, horrible mistake. And it's hard to see his mistake and not put ourselves in it. You see, we could overlook his mistake because it's so heinous. It's so out there. It's so crazy. Yet our mistakes have done the same thing to God. Our mistakes have hurt people. Our mistakes have hurt God. They've disappointed God. I know there's things I've done in life that I look and say, Lord, how can you still love me? How can you still have a calling on my life? Did I just disqualify myself? What the father was telling the son was this. There's nothing you could do that's going to disqualify you from ever coming home. That's the love of a father. Some of you think you got love for your kids. The love of the father was this. You'll never be disqualified from coming back home. The doors are always open and I'll always be waiting for you. See, the son wanted more than he deserved in the moments. He wanted more than he needed in the moments. It wasn't the time for him to get what he got at that time. And the Bible says that he messed up. He messed up in life. His decision changed his family emotionally, economically, and it changed them socially as well. 
the Father doesn't care about any of that stuff. His concern was for the Son. Proverbs 21, 20, verse 21 says this, An inheritance obtained too early in life is not a blessing in the end. When you get too much too soon, it crushes you. And what was meant to bless you now crushes you and messes you up. The younger son got what he wanted, but it wasn't in the time that he was supposed to get it. And in the end, we see that it crushed him. The son thought that the father's inheritance was the blessing. He thought, if I could just get my father's stuff, I'll be good, not realizing that his true blessing and inheritance was the father himself. The true inheritance and the blessing was the father himself. Why? Because the money was gone, but the father was there. The talks in society were happening, but the father was there. They were broke, but they were broke together. The father never left the son's side. The father never left. You see, it was easy for the son to come back home. Why? Because when the son left, the father said, I might not agree with what you're doing, but I'm sending you away in a blessing. So the son knew that the path back home was always clear. Remember this. If you hear anything I have to say today, your path back home is always clear. The father has made sure of it. See, the son never left the father's heart. Therefore, the father never left the son's mind. I could forget about somebody who treated me harshly when I was making my dumb mistake. I would rather forget about them. But how do I forget somebody who even in my dumb mistake still blessed me and still loved me. How can I forget that person? The father, the son never left the father's heart. So the son never left, or the father never left the son's mind. It wasn't out of sight and out of mind. The father was concerned about his son every single day. He could have rejected his son, but he chose not to. And some of you, you face some major rejection in life. That's why it's hard for you to make your way back. For some of you, you face a major rejection from the church. That's why you can't make your way back. You have, you've allowed shame to keep you from coming back here. Today, I want to let you know the path back home is all cleared out. The path back home is all cleared out. Father didn't reject him. And so many of us are waiting for God to beat us down when we mess up. Our concept of the Father is so contorted and so distorted that we can't even approach him. Why? Because we think that he's going to reject us. We think he's going to throw us out. But the Father, but Jesus paints a picture here of the Father. It says this, even in your dumb mistakes. This wasn't like an accidental mistake. I don't know very mistakes, many mistakes that are accidental, but this wasn't an accidental mistake. He thought this out. He thought that the money he was getting from his father was going to make him happy. And how many of us have gone against good advice before? Only to find out that the person 
who gave us the advice not to do it was right in the first place. And sometimes we're so afraid to say, you know what? You were right. Because when we come back, what we've got a lot of times was, I told you so. But how many of you guys have ever thought that when you came to that person who told you not to make that choice, make that decision, you're waiting for, I told you so. And when you came into their presence, they were just happy that you were back home. That's the father. That's the father for you this morning. The son never left his father's heart. Never came out of the father's heart. As far away as you ran from the father, you're still right here. And he's waiting every single day for you to come back home. He, he's waiting every single day for you to come back home. You've hurt him emotionally, but it doesn't matter because he values you greater than his emotions. You've hurt him economically, but he values you greater than the money he's lost. You've hurt him socially, but he values you greater. You are his value, and he proved it for you. You are his value. Those at home, you are his value. He loves you so, so much. Even when, even when you've asked for more, than you deserve. You see, some of you this morning, you got exactly what you asked for. You wanted the greater this and the greater that, the bigger house and the better job. You've got that and it's crushing you. It's crushing you because you've received something prematurely. But I want you to know even in that, the Father loves you so much that he's even able to look beyond that mistake. He's even able to look beyond the hurt that you've caused him. He's able to look beyond the money that you've cost him. He's able to look beyond the ridicule from society that you've cost him. And he's saying, my son, just come home. Just come home. I don't know where you're at right now. You could be coming to church your whole life. You could show up every single Sunday and still feel disconnected from the Father. Like your choices have disqualified you from ever being loved again. Can I tell you this? That's a lie from the pit of hell. Amen. The Father loves you. He not only said it, but he proved it. And as much as you've walked away and as much as you've given up and as much as you've hurt him, he still values you greater than all those things. He loves you. And this morning, he's calling you back home. He's calling you back home to relationship again. Not calling you back home to beat you down. Not calling you back home just because so you could be home. He wants you back home. I remember my grandfather making this statement when I was a little boy. He said this, all his children were grown and old, married out of the house, and he says, I wish I had a big enough house so that all my children could come back home. Why? Because it's the desire of the Father that the path back home is always clear. You see, in reality, what life is really all about, it's a big family reunion. And for those of us that are saved, 
God's given us the duty to go out and get the children that have messed up and to bring them back home. Why? Because it's the desire of the Father's heart that all his children would come back home. But maybe you're here this morning. You're in the building. You're watching online. It doesn't matter how you're hearing me right now. You feel distant from God. Not because God's distant from you, but because you've allowed your problem to put distance between you and God. But this morning, the path is clear. Just come home. Just come home. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. You're here today and maybe you feel like, like the son did to, to his father. You've hurt God emotionally, socially, economically, maybe in other ways as well. And you feel so guilty for it. I want to let you know something that the Bible says. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. The Father values you greater than your mess up. He sees you way beyond your mess up. He sees you way greater. He, he just wants his children home. You're here today. Maybe you've been in the building for a long time. You've been coming to church, but there's something that you know inside of you is keeping you from getting close to God. It's called shame. It's called regret. Today, it's all done with. Clean slate. It's time just to come home. It's time to be who God's called you to be. So you're here. Maybe you've never accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe you've done it at one time and you're far from God and today you would say, I need God back in my life. If that's you there online, maybe you've served God at one time. You've asked him into your life at one time or another, but now you've done some things that have really, really pushed you away from God and you're afraid to come home. Today, I invite you back home. If that's you online, I just want you to raise your hand or put, that's me. That's me. I want to lead you into a prayer. You're here this morning. If that's you, I'm going to ask simply at this, at the count of three, that you just simply raise up your hand. Why? The Father's calling you back home. I don't care if you've been to church for years upon years. If you are not living at who God's called you to be, if you are not living because of shame, guilt, or whatever it might be, today, you know what? Let's get things right. You're here this morning. You've never accepted Christ, or maybe you have, and you're far away because of decisions that you've made. But today, you're ready to come home. If that's you, I just want you to raise up your hand. So I want to pray with you here today. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Amen. Or maybe you're here as well, and you find yourself at a place where you're, 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 you come to church, you love God, but that guilt and shame is stopping you from ever being used again. You feel happy just to make it into the building. He didn't call you just to make it into a building. He wants to restore sonship back to you. If you feel far from God right now, you, you, you know if you die, you go to heaven, but you just feel far from God because of guilt and shame. I just want you to raise up your hands because I want to pray with you this morning. Let's break that stuff off. Amen. Anyone else? You've made some bad choices, and now you're living every single day, amen, with that regret. You're living with that shame because you don't see how God could ever love you again. If that's you, I just want you to raise up your hand. Anyone at all? Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Listen, for those of you that raise your hand, I'm going to call you up to the altar. I want to pray with you this morning. Believe that God wants to do a great work in your life.
I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. If that's you, you raised your hand. Stand to your feet and make your way to the altar. We want to pray with you. Don't let shame. Listen, don't let shame hold you back. The Father loves you. The Father loves you this morning. I'm going to ask everyone at the sound of my voice, if you would repeat this prayer with me, those online as well. The Bible says this, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again three days later, then salvation is yours. So I'm going to ask everyone here at the sound of my voice, if you would repeat this prayer with me, say, Dear Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Today, I confess you as Lord and Savior of my life. I believe that you died on the cross, that you rose again three days later. Forgive me of the things I've done that have broken your heart. Bring me back into sonship. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for downloading this message. For more information on our church, visit us at cwcbayarea.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash CWC Bay Area.